What does life in the kingdom of God look like? Hello and welcome to Season 5 of Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are continuing Luke in Chapter 17 with an episode entitled, The Kingdom of God. We must ask ourselves, Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God, and we must ask, what does that kingdom look like? What does life in the kingdom look like? And it's in chapter 17 that we have an answer to that question. Jesus tells his audience what life in the kingdom of God looks like, and it is both an encouragement to us, as well as a, you could say, a calling out of those who are not of the kingdom of God. That would be here in his audience, the Pharisees. And Luke is telling us this story, telling us this teaching that Jesus gives to, one, prepare his readers for the kingdom of God, to both encourage and to challenge, and as well to tell those who do not believe to believe. And we do that by starting out this lesson on temptations. You see, through some twists and turns and parables in this chapter, Jesus will be calling his disciples to prepare for the kingdom of God. How? By avoiding causing others to stumble, which is what we're going to look at in just a second. Guard your actions. But also the idea of having faithfulness, having thanksgiving, and being humble also are a part of that kingdom lifestyle. They all equal what it means and what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. So it begins with this story, or rather this teaching on temptations, where he basically says it's better for you to die than to cause one of these little ones to stumble meaning it would be better for you not to have lived and to cause somebody to stumble into sin. You see, Jesus takes sin very heavily. He does not take it lightly. He he takes it very seriously, and we should too. Sin is not a trivial thing. It's, It's not a, oh, what have I done sort of attitude, this lazy, fair attitude towards sin that we've developed in our modern world. That was foreign to Jesus. That was foreign to the teaching of Jesus. He took it very, very seriously, and we see that in the first few verses in chapter 17. Well, as we talk about temptations, which will come, you can't avoid temptations. You must guard your heart and prepare for them. You must make sure that you are not tempting others into sin. And through that comes forgiveness. People will wrong you. You must forgive them. That's difficult. Watch this. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That means call him to repentance. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in that day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, that immediately calls to question, what are we talking about when we talk about forgiveness? You see, part of the kingdom of God will be marked by a forgiving community of people. But we got to ask ourselves, what does it mean that it is a forgiving community of people? 
Does it mean that you can do whatever you want, ask forgiveness, and it doesn't matter? Well, no, because the word repent there means to turn from an action. It doesn't mean to continue in an action. It doesn't mean feeling sorry that you did something. No, instead, biblical repentance means turning away from that thing that you did and turning to the right thing to do. Now, in in this story or in this hypothetical situation that Jesus has created, he says, what if he sins seven times in a day and seven times in that same day he comes to you and says, I repent. What do you do? You forgive him. Well, that's hard, Jesus. Yeah, it is. That's not, he's not asking an easy thing. You see, the kingdom of God isn't about doing e- the easy things. It's not about doing what the rest of the world can already do. It's about doing and modeling what Jesus did. And In fact, within the story, what Jesus will do, he will take the cross. He will forgive those who are literally killing him at that moment. Say, Father, forgive them. He will forgive the sins of the world before they even say, I repent. He's already forgiven them. He's forgiven you. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God will be one marked by this kind of selfless forgiveness. But it is a supernatural forgiveness. But I wanted to point out, Jesus is not saying let people take advantage of you and you just keep forgiving them and letting them hurt you. No, if someone has wronged you, let's say they've taken advantage of you financially, you can forgive them and yet not give them access to your finances again or loan them money again. This is not saying you forgive them and you forget. This is saying you forgive them. You're not holding that against them. You're helping them walk in repentance, but you keep your guard up that you're not continually being taken advantage of it. Jesus isn't advocating for a community a community of gullible people. I wouldn't say sheep because, yes, it it would be sheep, but not in that sense, not in that connotation. We need to be wise to the people around us, not to be taken advantage of, to use our resources well, not to give them away without thinking about who we're giving them to, meaning if someone's taking advantage of your resources, don't continue to let yourself be taken advantage of, but you still forgive them. Well, the disciples have figured out really quick This is a very difficult thing that you're asking us to do, Jesus. How do we know that? Well, it says the apostles, those who have been sent out, say, increase our faith. Why? Because what you're asking us to do is to forgive people seven times in a day, and I don't think I can do that. I mean, we're thinking about that going, forgiving people is difficult, we might join with the disciples in saying, increase our faith so that we can forgive people. Notice Jesus' response isn't, yeah, okay, I'll increase it. It's this. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Now, real quick, because When I was a kid and I read this, I I remember looking outside the window of our church building and saying, I have faith in in God, and looking at that building and going, be thrown into the sea, be thrown into this, and it it didn't move. Well, Jesus wasn't literally saying we're going to be able to look at trees, say move, and they'll move, and if they don't, we didn't have enough faith. That's, That's not what's happening. 
a very faithful person isn't necessarily going to say to a tree, be thrown into the sea. It's hyperbole. But what he is saying is that even with the grain of a mustard seed, very small amount of faith, you can move mountains. In this sense, you can move that tree. Things will happen. He's not saying that that's literally going to be what you do. You're not going to say to a building, move, and it will move because you have faith, but it it requires only a little bit of faith to do great things. Now, back to the story at hand. What is Jesus telling his disciples? Well, they ask for an increase in faith, and on the surface, that sounds like a great ask, right? But Jesus' response indicates a greater problem for them. I mean, notice their, their ask is for an increased faith, and yet Jesus talks about if you only had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could do great things. Well, here's the issue. They lack a faith to increase. Jesus points them to the mustard seed. Why? Because it is small, yet that small amount of faith is sufficient to move mountains. It is sufficient to do great things, like forgive those who have sinned against us even if it's seven times in a day. You see, faith isn't a scale here. Jesus said, you know, you want, you want an increase, so you, you start small and you'll find uh, that a little bit more will help, a little bit more will help, and you can do greater and greater things as your faith goes through these ranks. No, that's not what's happening here. Jesus calls out their lack of faith. A little faith, if they even had that, would do great things. It would be enough to forgive. You need not a high level of faith to go back and forgive people. You need only a small amount of faith, and you can forgive people who have sinned against you, people who have asked forgiveness, even if it is seven times in that day. You will find the strength to forgive even with an iota of faith, a small amount of faith. So let's look at it this way, and we'll move on here. Only the smallest amount of faith. With only the smallest amount of faith, we can muster more than enough strength to forgive those who have hurt us. See what I did there? So this is displayed also in a parable and a story. So the parable is this. As we've talked about faith, now we have the opposite problem. They lack faith. We're going to talk about these servants who are lacking in humility. Perhaps they have a lot of faith, but in themselves— and it's this odd parable here uh, where it says in verse 7, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, Hey, when you come in from the field, recline at my table? He will, will, will he not rather say, in verse 8, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and I drink, and afterwards you will eat and you will drink? Does he think the servant because he did what he was commanded. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, he's not saying if that's all you can muster is to do what you've commanded, you're, you're bad. But what he's saying is don't do the base level amount of stuff and go to God and say, hey, I, you should be thankful I'm doing these things. I need to be rewarded for what I'm doing. No, because what you're doing is what has been commanded of you. I mean, I remember I moved across the ocean from Taiwan back to America to, to go to seminary, and I left a vibrant ministry of, 
in, in a growing influence in the church that I was working at. And I, and I was teaching and, and I was earning a sufficient amount of money with health care and I wasn't worried about my next meal. And I, through faith and through obedience, moved across the world to start seminary where I was working a job cleaning toilets for $10 an hour and barely scraping by on paying the bills. And I remember thinking one night, God, I did everything you commanded me to do. Where is my good job? Why aren't you coming through? And I failed to see that he had supplied a job that, while not great, it was enough. And even when I didn't have enough to pay the bills, money would come in from people saying, hey, God told me to give you this, and it would be just enough to pay that bill. And, and I look back, what's the problem? I was like those servants. I was doing what was commanded of me and then expecting God to reward me for what I was commanded to do, what I was supposed to do. Instead, to be thankful, to be humble, to say, God, you're enough, would have been the correct attitude. And I had to deal with that attitude. And even as I read this little parable, I'm reminded of that time in my life. And I remember praying to God, God, forgive me, because I've thought that I that you owed me for what what I did was simply following the your commands, living in obedience, and I thought you owed me for that. You, God does not owe you for living an obedient life to Him. That is what you're supposed to do. Don't be like these servants. Be humble. Be thankful. In fact, the very next story. So the kingdom of God is a place of forgiveness. It is a place of faithfulness. It is a place of humility, and it's a place of thankfulness because we have these lepers, and I'll run through this story really quick. There's 10 of them, and Jesus, through great compassion, heals them and says, go, be on your way, and when you wash in this river, you will be healed and go to the temple and be shown. And out of the 10, only one of them comes back and says, thank you for healing me. And it was a, it was a, a Samaritan, a foreigner. And he looks and he says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your thankfulness in your faithfulness have made you well. The kingdom of God is a place of thankfulness and a place of faithfulness. And all of that is setting up this confrontation and conversation that will happen in verses 20 and following where the Pharisees, so being asked about the Pharisees in verse 20, when the kingdom of God would come, and he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You see, they're saying, okay, you're talking about this kingdom life. Where's the kingdom of God coming from? How can we see it? And he answers the question like this. You see, seeing Jesus in the coming kingdom, it looks like this. The previous verses have outlined what kingdom-driven person in, in life looks like what that life in the kingdom of God will be like. Verses 1 through 19 are kingdom life. A community who repents, forgives, isn't prideful, is faithful and thankful. So what will it tangibly look like on earth? It'll look like this. He, he says very clearly, unbelievers will miss it. He tells the Pharisees, you're looking for the kingdom of God, but you will miss it because you're not really looking for it. So here, the Pharisees will miss the kingdom of God. In our time, those who don't believe will miss the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is all around us, is what Jesus is saying. And Jesus' followers see the kingdom all around us. They must see it. 
Here's the thing, you won't miss the final coming of the kingdom of God, for it will be loud and will save those who follow Jesus. So as we conclude, don't miss the kingdom of God. Be living that kingdom life even now in 2023 and beyond. Eternity is at stake here. Don't miss it. Seek Jesus especially as we begin this new year, begin it seeking the one who came from heaven to earth to die on a rugged cross for you, to be raised to life so that you too can be raised to life from death of your sins to life in him. Seek Jesus today and be living a kingdom-oriented life in your daily life if you are already a follower of Jesus. I'd like to thank you for listening to Rooted Together, and I look forward to joining you in chapter 18 next time. I'll see you there.